So, um, the real story behind the departure of Katie Arrington from the DOD. Dun, 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 dun. Um, it was uh, the best of times. It was the worst of times. Who wrote that? The great, was that in the great Serac? Yeah, it was the best of times. Um, so, first, I would like everybody listening to know that my time in the DOD was the best three years of my career. Welcome to The Lojo Show. I'm your host, Loverture Jones. I'm the founder and managing member at BlackRock Engineering and Technology. I have over 21 years of cybersecurity experience, and I am honored to be able to bring some of that experience to you. Thank you for joining us on episode three of our exclusive series with Katie Arrington. We have given Katie a platform to let loose and let us know what the real deal is. If you haven't listened to the first two episodes of this series with Katie, I highly recommend you go and give that a listen. Katie continues to give us the on the ground perspective about security within the Department of Defense. We are very excited to continue this series. Please join us for this fantastic episode. We hope you enjoy. I would like everybody listening to know that my time in the DOD was the best three years of my career. End of story, end of sentence, period. I've never worked with a better group of individuals who had a common goal. Um, my, my crew, you know, my Neil Jenkins, Stacey Bosjenic, John Smoot, John Choi, uh, Buddy Deeds, I just was given this amazing team of individuals who wanted to make, make a difference. And I was so honored and proud to lead them um, and to, to be able to work with them. Uh, it, it just was an honor. And uh, the next thing is gratitude. Uh, Ellen Lord, uh, Kevin Fahey, Al Schaefer, um, you know, the list goes on of people, uh, David Nordquist, um, that believed that what we were trying to get done was the best thing. And, and that went for the Senate, that went for the House, that went for most of industry, um, that, you know, we needed a solution. And instead of trying to, you know, get everything to be 100%, right? Let's, let's start at 80 and build to 100. Let's start with something and get to something. So um, my time in the DOD, I can't say enough. I just absolutely loved, loved working there. And it was hard. Oh my gosh, it was so hard. Um, it was, you know, being at work at, you know, Miss Lord uh, would start her day. This, this is what most people don't realize. When you're, when you're an HQE or an, uh, an SES at that level, um, when you're a direct report to an under, you don't start your day at nine. You don't start your day at eight. Um, they start their days, the unders, the secretaries, generally about 6.30 in the morning. And you are required, you know, unspoken rule is you're there when they're there. Um, 
So our days, you know, my team started bright and early. Um, you know, we were some of the first people in the building um, and the last people to leave at night and work, 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 work all day long, back to back to back to back meetings. And that was just a crazy time. Um, now, I, I will say there were issues, right? Like any good thing, um, the Department of Defense is, you know, it's still in, it's trying to understand cyber. And I, I think that this is for a lot of industry and the DOD isn't, you know, uh, the federal government on a whole um, isn't, you know, it does not have their arms around it. You know, creating a cyber czar is one thing, right? Getting somebody in the cabinet level position that, that can understand cyber. But the way cyber is set up in the federal government, it's very disjointed. And there are a lot of laws to prevent information sharing. I mean, that's why, you know, I sat on the FASC for three years. Um, and for three years, we couldn't get around our own lawyers on what information we could and couldn't share with each other. Um, you know, they, there's a lot of complexity to it. I read this morning in an article that Chris Krebs um, from CISA, uh, that he wants, you know, a, a cross-cutting cyber uh, office stood up. It, it, it's you really have to struggle because of authorities in the department and the federal agencies and everybody has their own authority. Um, you know, the, the NSS, the national security systems, um, their authority, um, you know, NSA has authority, um, but so, so do each of the services that run those NSS systems. Um, so it's, it, it, and the agencies that run them. So it's it's very complicated. And the Department of Defense, as I stated, was no different. So my time there, although I loved it, I have nothing but respect, there was a lot of cultural upheaval that we were trying to happen. You know, uh, Kevin Fahey was trying to revolutionize uh, acquisition. Um, he was trying to get it out of the McNamara 50s and 60s uh, you know, when they wrote uh, acquisition um, and, and trying to get it to a more modern state. You know, that's where the adaptive acquisition framework came in. Um, uh, you know, I'll give, you know, some nod to Stacey Cummings, um, but that was Kevin Fahey's baby. That, that was his, you know, we've got to get better. We've got to do it better. Um, you know, you can't do software uh, and, and cram it into earned value management, EVM, uh, so, true software development because it doesn't fit, right? There's no good state. It depends on the application and the use and, and, and how it fits. I mean, it's just, it's, it's a very, it's like trying to shove a, a square into a, a circle peg and it's not going to work. And we need to revolutionize what we were doing there. Um, and with that, understand there are people that have fear. Anytime you're going to change something, there's a fear factor, right? You know, especially in bureaucrats, they're, you know, they do it their way. You know, we've been doing it this way, all this way. Why would we change? Well, if it ain't working, you got to fix it. You know, the definition of insanity in Katie's terms is if you've done what you did, you're going to get what you got, right? And we had gotten nowhere in cyber. I mean, we really had gotten nowhere as far as in securing the dibs, securing, you know, getting an awareness out that this war with China, and you know, it's scary that our leaders are saying that China's a good country and that they're democratic. Um, they are not that at all. <laughs> they, they are not good people. 
Um, well, the people of China probably are decent people, but the uh, the leadership in China, nay, nay, I say, um, they're they're awful human beings. Um, you know, they, they if you don't conform and do exactly as they they wish, you know, there are people that just you know just don't exist anymore in China. Um, they know human rights. I mean, that's why you know we're in, in the great war of the chips. Who can make them the the, the microchips? Well, the main reason that China sources 64% of the raw material is because it causes cancer um, in, in some people. Uh, they have no respect for human rights or, you know, a life. It's, you know, all for the greater good. So we are really in this, this you know, I, I, I don't want to say battle, but it's this you know, the, the culture of the DOD needs to change. And it was starting to change. Um, it's changing now. I don't think it's changing for the right reasons in the right environment, right? So I believed highly in risk, that you have to assume and take risk to make something change and happen. And you're not going to be successful 100% of the time. And you shouldn't be, right? You have to learn from your mistakes and, and learn from, you know, that's how we grow. Um, and the DOD really does not like to take risk because ultimately they're, they're all afraid to go in front of Congress um, and say that was, you know, it, it, we spent money, it didn't work out. That's their greatest fear, right? They don't want to have to go and tell a senator, which to me blows my mind. The senator is not like royalty. The senator or the the congressman, and I tried to become one because I really believe this. They're servant leaders. They're no better than you or I. They're just elected to be your voice in a particular area. Um, there are a hundred senators. Those hundred senators are not smarter than anyone else out there. Um, they're just as smart. And know that you know their belief. Um, especially in the DOD, if you believe that something should be different, if you don't agree with them, the, the, what the department does, which most federal agencies do, and you see it when you see a hearing, is they tell the government only what they want the government to know. And we've seen this historically, you know, time and time again, instead of going and saying, listen, and I used to do this when I would go in and talk. Um, so if, if any of the listeners of the podcast ever have been in, in leadership positions within the federal government, when you're getting ready to go talk to Senate, um, you have to have your, your statement, your opening statement written, and you have to have it approved by umpty squat people within the building, your lawyers, everybody has to approve it. It's never really what anybody wants to say. It's what they're allowed to say. And I didn't conform to that rule real well. Um, I kept going off script. Um, I would tell them the honest to God truth. Um, and that was frustrating, but also refreshing. Um, you know, the, the, the both bodies of the Senate and the House feel as if, especially on the SASC and the HASC, I can't speak for, 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 for members because I'm not one, but I can tell you I speak to them quite often. And they're, they're shocked, A, at the lack of focus of cyber, um, that the, you know, the people that write the NDAA and they say, go and do this stuff. Well, the appropriators don't necessarily agree with them, even in their own bodies, right? 
and they don't give them the money. We had so many unfunded mandates. Oh my gosh. Um, and it, it's like, here, go do this task, but we give you no money. Um, and, and the government has got to get it together. That's why I ran for Congress. You know, I wanted to go and be like, hey, guys, listen, don't tell the DOD to write a report and have no additional resources allocated and provided through appropriations, because that means somebody who has a day job, has a real job, has to stop their job to write this report because we don't have any resources to do it. And it, it's and what is the benefit of a report? You know, I, I've never understood. And what's really funny is I had written. So this this segment in the podcast is what happened to me at the DOD, ultimately. Um, and and Lojo is pretty much letting me ta- take over the show today. And I appreciate that. Um, I wrote. So many reports. <laughs> Letting you take over the show. I don't think I'm allowed to take over the show. I think you took over the show. <laughs> I'm just going to take over this podcast. Um, the, um, taking it over. The, uh, the There were two reports that I wrote that nobody wanted to write. This is the funny thing, right? Like, it, if you read the NDAA, the way it comes down, it says the sex def shall and cooperation with blah, 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 blah. So, like, everybody reads that. And we divvy up the NDAA, right? So it hits the building and there are people in the SecDex office who truly have no idea what other entities are doing within the building, right? They just hear a word or they read a word and they think it goes to a particular area. So there may be a section in the NDAA that there's a report that Congress really wanted my office to write and somehow or another ended up in policy. And they have no idea what they're writing about, right? They, they have no idea, but because it's been tasked them by the SECDEF and nobody wants to go back and say, hey, that was meant for me. The lawyers pony up and they're like, no, 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 this is our responsibility because there's no communication. It is a massive building that has the worst communication skills ever in any it's just you you can't even understand because there's so much going on every single day it's it's but in any case i had was tasked with writing several reports but there were two really big ones that i was very very passionate about one was the uh, the elusive 1648 report and the aafy report i Loved that. No, I'm sorry. It was 2019. I loved that report. I wrote that bad boy. Um, John Smoot, um, who I hope listens to this podcast, is a saint. Um, he he pretty much authored 1648 with me. I said, this is what it needs to say. These are the groupings it needs to go into. These are the things they need to understand that we're doing. And the, the pretense of the 1648 report was, what are we doing, the framework to protect the dib. So there, there was input from everybody that should have been on this, right? It, there, everybody had a role. And I used to have this, I'd call it the wheel of death. I made up this wheel that showed, you know, it was a bunch of wheels and cogs together, how everybody had a part in protecting the dib, right? Everybody within the department, including the dib, had a role. And if one person didn't do their job, Everybody else suffered, but you couldn't do someone else's job. You had to focus on your job to make your wheel move. And it was beautiful. And I wrote this report and 
um, in true fashion in DOD land, like you have to coordinate it, right? And go around and everybody, when they see it, they want more, more, more. Because if Congress sees that they're doing more, well, they'll get more money. So more, more, more. Instead of just saying, this is what I do. This is, I, I can't be a jack of all trades. I have to be the master of one. And this is my one. And the DOD still, you know, it's a fight. Who has the money has the power. Um, and I wasn't like that. I was the anti-money, anti-power person, right? This is one team, one fight. This is about the warfighter. This isn't about us. This is about the warfighter. And you get frustrated as, as Katie Arrington. Um, I have the patience of a gnat. I, it, to my thing that we have one life to live, nothing is promised, tomorrow is not guaranteed, and time is precious. You never know when the Lord is going to call you home. Um, I personally went through a, a devastating car accident in 2018. I know how precious life is and how critical, you know, in theater, you know, there, there are 13 souls that never left Afghanistan that didn't need to die. But think about all the people throughout human history or through, you know, our U.S. history with weapons to defend us that a weapon malfunctioning or they didn't have the right supplies at the right time or, you know, the, the capability wasn't there. I take that to heart. Those are lives. And we've got to get beyond that and remember that's what we're here to do. That's our job. You know, firemen and EMTs and doctors and nurses, um, you know, the first responders, police officers. It's, it's not like they get a second chance at saving a life. It's, it's once. So you better do it well. And that's why, you know, it, it, to me, it's the Department of Defense, you know, needs to have a, a, a shake. You know, it, you know, Stuart um, uh, uh, Shell, I, I'll mess up his last name, I always do, Scheller, the uh, lieutenant colonel who got very upset about Afghan withdrawal and was, you know, court-martialed and dismissed. I, I, I struggle, and for anybody listening, this isn't a political thing. I struggle that why was he dismissed for criticizing leadership, but yet Millie criticized the commander in chief publicly. Got to hold everybody to the same standard, right? It, it, to make it work. And we, did, we don't in the DOD. They're, they're, they, they didn't do that. Um, I love Stuart. He has become, a, a, he is a good guy um, and, and making the most out of a bad situation. But what he said, and if any of you remember, I mean, he went on this, you know, he went on TV and said, leadership matters. And we don't have leaders. We don't have good leadership. And I was fortunate to have good leaders in a sea of bad. And that's, and, and, you know, under Ellen Lord, A&S was moving like lightning. We were, we changed the, the adaptive acquisition framework. We, we renegotiated and, and got uh, the F-35 program, you know, somewhat right. It's gone back off the, the ledge again. Um, we did the CMMC. Uh, Nick Shalon stood up DevSecOps. Um, that was all under Ellen Lord. She was a change agent. She was like, yeah, let's get in here and, and, and shake it up, right? We, we have four years to make a difference. Let's go make a difference. And by God, we did. We started the Trusted Capital Program. We, we, we started this truly looking at the supply chain. Um, with that, there was a lot of, I would say, uh, people, you know, like, why are you changing it? 
it, it, it's been like this and, and the, you know, we had to get it done. Um, so while I'm there, I come in in January of 2019, January 6, 2019 was my first day, ironic. Um, you know, a few years later, January 6 will become infamous in, in American history. Um, but, you know, I'm walking into the Pentagon on January 6 and I'm crying. No, no kidding. I am just, my eyes are welling up. I am honored and privileged and I am in the Department of the Defense. I work for the Department of Defense as a highly qualified expert on cybersecurity to help them get it right. And, you know, the PICTIF had stood up at the same time. And, and like I said, the, you know, Congress wrote the PICTIF into existence. Um, I, I believe Mattis uh, said, you know, we need to do this. Um, and then no, no funds, no resources, just here, go stand this, this, this task force up and tell us what's wrong. It, once again, doomed to failure, no authorities, no money, no resourcing, no nothing. God bless General Murphy. Um, he was in charge of it and I worked, you know, basically everything I was tasked to do was in his wheelhouse, but I was the only, I had the authority to do it. He did not. I felt so bad for the pick tip. I mean, everything they wanted to do, I was able to do because it was in my, my acquisition. You know, we, the only way to affect change, right, is through contracts and contracting. Um, but at the same time, um, I stood up my office, right, was starting to become this, you know, the CISO's office was forming. Um, and Nuremberger was starting the same office called the Directorate of Cyber at NSA. Now, to say that Anne and I liked each other would be a gross misstatement. Um, two, two very intense women, um, but understanding roles and responsibilities, um, I got mine and didn't understand hers. Um, and NSA is a combat support agency. Um, they should never, and, and, and this is, you know, we're going through some very crazy times in the government, right? Um, what happened um, with the FBI raid on a prior president's home, um, the, the, the entire Fauci you know, time that we've had here, folks, whether you agree or disagree, this has been about agencies having too much power, right? And we have to remember, and, and I, I say this, we, the people, we established the government and we told the government in the constitution what they were allowed to do, what they weren't allowed to do, right? That's what the constitution is. It says we are a free people. Our, our, our freedoms come directly from God. You, nobody can tell them. And I have freedom of speech. It's the first amendment. Well, as listeners on this podcast, you may not realize this, but in U.S. law, a U.S. company has the same rights and privileges as a U.S. citizen. A company can say whatever they want. They have every right. They can communicate in any way they want to. So Anne and I had philosophical differences on how to secure the dip. She felt it was the NSA's role. And I say, no, NSA is as broken as every other agency. You're a combat support agency. Um, you have some really cool capabilities, but you don't have any statute authority over the DIB. Well, they were asserting that because they were over the NSS, 
they did. And I'm like, well, no, the DIB isn't, is not part of the NSS. It's, it's not. And you can't insert yourselves. If you want that, you have to go to Congress and get that and get appropriated and stood up. Well, in the DOD, we do these issue papers. And Anne wanted $900 million to stand up her office out of issue papers. And I said, not just no, but hell no. Um, and Ellen Lord agreed with me. And um, I can't remember, uh, oh gosh, I can see his face. He was in charge of INS. Um, he agreed with Ellen Lord as well um, that, you know, no, no, we in the department, right, understand Title 10 authority. And for those people listening that don't know what Title 10 authority is, the authority the services have to spend their money. They don't need approval from anybody to spend the money they want, other than Congress, right? They, their money. Was that Ur um, Jado? to give it up. Was that Ur yeah. Jado? Yeah, okay, yep. And they can do what they want. So Anne goes in and wants this issue paper and she wants me to write it, right? She's, it's, it's my issue paper talking about DIB cybersecurity and how we're going to a, get the DIB secure, and get our weapon system. So part of my, so my job in totality, um, I was over the cybersecurity for weapon systems and critical infrastructure and the DIB. Ultimately, because all of those fell through acquisition, right? Because the DOD build a weapon? No, industry does, we contract for it. So ultimately all the cyber was my responsibility and any vulnerability the service had the vulnerability of the particular weapon portion of the weapon system or, or, or what it was, but it was my job because of the, you know, 1647 and 1650 NDAAs, you know, the testing uh, of all the weapon systems and critical infrastructure and to create a strategic cybersecurity program because weapons had changed. Congress realized it. Everybody realized that, that, you know, a weapon system that we developed 20 years ago you know, had problems in, an, in, in this new environment and we needed to fix it. Um, and I was in charge of that and Anne wanted to be in charge of that. that. That's what her office, she thought that her office was set up. And I'm like, no. So we go into this issue paper cycle. And when I say it was crazy, it was crazy. Um, have, it, issue papers in the Department of Defense are an art unto themselves. So basically it's, it's, a, it's a several month long process where we come together and we realize there are things that didn't get covered in the budget um, that are needed. So you write a paper about it and then you go and I, I would just call it the cabal, right? Um, we would argue out what were the most important between all the services, you know, my office, um, Crawl with PCA at the time, uh, Dennis Crawl, another, revolutionary, awesome individual, General Hyten, I can't say enough about, Paul Silva, you know, there are some amazing leaders, right? I'm not trying to disparage the beat. They are some great leaders um, in, the, in the Pentagon. Dave Bassett at DCMA right now. I mean, there are some really awesome folks. Um, but at this particular time, my, my crew, right, I had a, a General Crawl, myself, and we were in charge of leading with the CAPE the cost um, accounting um, and pricing um, office. And uh, our job was to go and, and figure these out. Well, you know, Ann wanted me to put this 900 million in. There was no way the services were gonna give Ann $900 million. 
And she said, no, we have unique capabilities that we, only we have. And I said, you know what, Anne would be much better for, for everybody is why don't you set up a curriculum to train our ISIs and SISIs who are information security engineers. Um, you know, they, they have different acronyms in each different service, but you create a curriculum, right? And I will pay you to create the curriculum. I will pay you to train these individuals, but it's like, you, you know, to teach a man to fish, he will never go hungry. You give him a fish, he'll be hungry, hungry in an hour. She just wanted to give him, you know, be there and get paid for it and make her, her portfolio bigger. And I blocked it. I'm proud I blocked it. I blocked it so hard that I got to, you know, people would not put Anne and I in the same room because it would end up being a, a, an unproductive meeting because I'm like, you're overstepping your bounds and your authority, period. End of story. Um, so that went on and I had written, so remember I talked about the 1648 report? So I'd written it with the CMMC being the baseline of it, but there were multiple other facets around it that we had. You know, I mentioned in the first podcast, you know, we had the 2339 alpha capability where we could say a product or a capability was bad and we could take it out. Um, we had the DC3, we had DibNet. Um, we, we, there were a multitude of different things that were going on to protect the DIB. All things, you know, Project Spectrum had been stood up. Um, we were offering training on multiple levels on how to get small businesses um, right. Um, there was a multitude of things. And then the second report that they gave me was the Strategic Cybersecurity Report, which had been bouncing around for years. It originally was given to CIO and then NSA, and neither one of them really wanted it. It ended up back in my office, and my office took it. I'm like, oh, this is awesome, right? We really need to have a strategic cybersecurity program to look at how we, we test our program, our weapon systems, our defense critical missions um, in, in, in a robust manner that is like the deliver, the, the delivery, right? So in acquisition, and this is if you're not an acquisition geek, this doesn't make sense. But there are milestones, A, B, and C, right? Pre-milestone A is when you determine the capability, you find the resource funding, does it fit the need of whatever you're replacing or adding to a defense critical mission, right? You, you look around, you do things, you, but prior to milestone A, right, you're looking at the defense critical mission and what needs to make it better, you move forward. You get to milestone A, and that's when you start prototyping and, and testing and, and figuring it out. Well, then you go to milestone B, which is, okay, you've, you've gone through all this time. Um, you, you said, okay, this is what we're going to do. You start producing it, and C is when it actually goes into the, the um, gets approved to go into the defense critical mission. But software doesn't have a regimen of testing. And when we, we remember, like pre-milestone A, we talk about the defense critical mission and how this product has to insert itself, but there's no routine testing laid out in the acquisition framework that says you should test this often for this, you know, and in these programs, which are now all software enabled, there's no money. Like if you're building a, a vehicle, right? You're doing a, a, a tactical vehicle. You run a maintenance, align along the development cycle of a program because you know its vehicle is going to need maintenance. Well, no one ever built in a software maintenance, right? 
you need money to find when there's a glitch that happens, right? Or a particular product that you may be using, you know, gets exfilled and you need to replace an operating system or something. There's no maintenance line. And that was something I came up on, like, guys, we've got to put this in. When you build these programs, you have to have money for bad things happening because bad things will happen, um, especially at the speed that we're deliver, delivering this. And, and I wrote that into the strategic cybersecurity program. And I wrote um, a new, um, it's 5001, I, I want to say it's called CS, and it was the, the acquisition instruction on cybersecurity and how often and what testing and what type of testing it was worked with R&E um, to create this. And that report as well was one that I was constantly working on. Um, and I did something avant-garde, which was you didn't do in the DOD. Um, so while we were working on these, these lovely reports, I was sending them in draft to the HASC and the SASC. I was sending them so they could see that we were working because they kept asking, where are these reports? Well, we're in draft and I'm in coordination. This is where I'm in coordination. And I would send it to the staffers and because I didn't want them to think we weren't doing our job. You know what's funny in the NDAA this year? Lojo, you, do you know what's in the NDAA this year? What's they have sent off 75% of OSD funding until they get that, those two reports. Still haven't given them. 75% of funding? Uh-huh. They fenced it off and said, until we get these reports, you don't get your money. And I'm not in the DOD anymore. I read that in the NDAA and I laughed because I knew that it was my reports. And this all goes back to the NSA fight that I had. And it, it's this constant, you know, like, you know, all of a sudden I was writing this report and I was taking the lead on it. And I'm like, okay, let's, and it was gaining momentum, right? I'm like, we need to have cyber tiger teams, right? That come in and evaluate um, where in, in the development of a weapon system or, or capability, you know, at break time, you know, this time, as you go through each slice of this, they need to review and say, do you have all the intel that you need, right? Have you gotten all of the, the information? Because most PMs don't, right? NSA is not one to give up information. You know, they're, they're, it's very hard for NSA to give a PM information. So if they have information that their capability may have been exfilled, right? It's not like NSA jumps through hoops to tell the PM that happened. They're more worried about reverse engineering and figuring out who did it. So that they can go after them. Well, the PM, the project manager uh, of the program, has no clue. And most of these guys, I mean, don't have access to JWICs, right? They're, the JWICs drop may not even be on base where they're at, right? They may have to go and drive, or they may have the capability to get to SIPR, but that's it, right? Um, and NSA isn't in their program office giving them this information every day. Did you say that I it could take up to a, two years for them to get that information oh, yeah. back to the program managers, right? If ever. If ever. So that's like driving an 18-wheeler down not. the road with a flat tire without anybody Brother. indicating that you had a flat tire. Yeah. <laughs> Brother, who are you telling? Right? This is this is why I believe Katie Arrington is no longer employed at the Department of Defense. So I'm like, NSA, stop trying to 
take over the dib. How about you figure out a better way to communicate with the, uh, the, 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 the building, the Department of Defense, and give us the re information in real time? And what I worked out was every couple of days, I had a senior briefer from NSA that would come in, a lieutenant colonel, and I said, I want to see all the briefs on these particular areas. If it has to do with the clear defense contractor, I want to see it. If it has to do with cybersecurity, I want to see it. If it has to do with these known cyber actors and they have team names, I want to know what they're up to. And my briefer, there were two of them, which were absolutely amazing. And it was the first time, I think, and I can speak for myself, where I would get in and they would come in. Now, mind you, I'm, I'm, I'm cleared all the way to, I'm on, I'm written, read into many hundreds of SAPs, right? Um, gamma clearance, et cetera. I'm, I am the one that they're all of a sudden the Intel community is like, oh, we've got somebody who actually understands, right? Like my theory is if, if a weapon system has been exfilled or a company has been exfilled in a particular program, we had better get our collective asses together, work as a team to help them. They don't even know that they've been hit. Have you picked up the phone and called them instead of the, the agency trying to reverse engineer it and we're just going to monitor it so we can figure out how the adversary did it so they can't do it again. Well, in the meantime, it's destroying tax-paying, tax-funded, taxpayer-funded weapon systems. NSA. You can't do that, right? You, you have to let them know the secret, right? That, that's going on. So this goes on the entire time. And when I, I would, would give my briefings, they'd come in and of course they'd be masked. And what it means masked, it would say a clear defense contractor. And it would say was exfilled um, at this date and this information, that, that these IP addresses. Da, 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 da. And I would always say, okay, have you notified the company yet? Can, you, can I ask for this to be unmasked? Have you notified the company? And that was a whole endeavor. Why do I need to know? Well, I'm in charge of the DIB. My job is to, to be there to help them, right? So if they've been hit, shouldn't we tell them? Mm -mm. Nope. That's not the way it works. And that's, that's where the world is messed up, right? And, and it's, we have this, and I was trying to break this culture of, okay, you've had a breach. You as a company, you understand you have resourced and figured out you've had a breach, a breach and you, you, you don't know. That's why the CMMC was so important, right? Most people didn't even know who to call. DC3 is who you're supposed to call, right? And then they, they light up a chain that goes up, right? But very, very few phone calls come in. Very few people report. Right. Because that's bad. Right. If you've been hit, you don't want to tell the government. Last person you want to tell is the government. And NSA isn't telling us. Right. They're not busting down the doors because they want money. They want to be paid for services. Right. They're years behind in developing encryption is, oh, by the way, their main job. Right. So it's this just complete broken system that they have. And I was the one to say, let's break what's broke. Let's fix what's broken, right? We need a direct communication with NSA. We need to get this information hot off the wire so we can get ahead of the game because the adversaries know, right? And, and I was very vocal about this. And 
you know, in the very beginning, the services and, you know, the, the intelligence community was a little bit like, what, you know, we don't want her saying, you know, talking about this. She, she's, you know, we really don't like this. This, 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 this saying that what we're doing isn't effective. And I'm saying it's not. So let's fix it, right? If, if a program office needs to have somebody, an, uh, an FTE that's there that can access the, the intel in, in time of relevance, right, as we're developing, and I mentioned in a previous GBSD does this, right? They have them in the program office, then let's bring them in the program office. Let's set that up. Let's get that line item. Let's get it budgeted so we're not robbing Peter to pay Paul, right? Yeah, that didn't go over so well. So NSA comes up with a solution, which is a DNS, a domain name server, which in theory is a good idea, right? If you voluntarily want to do that, because in earlier in the podcast, I said, you know, remember that um, the U.S. company has the same rights as a U.S. citizen, and you would be constricting their ability to communicate if you put a DNS on that. Basically, you, you said what ports were, were able, the, the, the capability would say, I don't know that IP address. You haven't registered it with me. Therefore, I'm not going to let that outbound communication go. Well, if you're an international company, that does not work. And if you don't know that that's being put on you, your business will be affected. And Absolutely. that's what NSA that's what NSA solution was, and still is today the solution that they think is the best solution. And I say no. <laughs> An adoption of that. A capability. Yeah, adoption of that's going to be very very little. Yeah, that's going to be very little very, as far as very. companies want to do that. And NSA touts is this great, you know, oh, we've had all these companies volunteer. Well, ultimately, who's going to pay for this great overseer, right? And then who's going to be the overseer of what communication is acceptable and not, right? Six months ago, when they came out with the disinformation czar out of the White House, people went crazy. What do you think U.S. companies would do if they found out that NSA was going to shut down their communication without telling them? I think they'd go off the rails. And I was very local. I'm like, nope, that's against the US Constitution. You can't do that. Um, I kept saying no a lot to a lot that NSA said that they wanted to do. And I kept saying, do your job. Don't, don't do anybody else's, just do your job and figure out a way to communicate with us more effectively so that we know, you know, the, the, role, the, the unspoken word inside the DOD is NSA is not our friend. They don't come in here and tell us what, you know, hey, listen, oh, this happened yesterday. What they come in and say is you can hire and bring in our, our secret sauce and pay us and we'll tell you what's wrong and how to fix it. Huh? That's literally how the, it works. We'll tell you what's wrong and how to fix it. Am I oversimplifying it. if I say that, hey, this sounds like an NSA building business, like a business development tool in this case, it right? Hey, get them hooked on that. And then, hey, let's see if they'll pay for this, right? That's what it sounds like. You got it. It one bing, 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 bing. So remember, Ann Nuremberger, right? Her and I not getting along at all, at all. Um, I've taken over the strategic cybersecurity program. I'm running that. I'm doing it, and I and I'm I'm fighting now. Um, this is going into uh, the fall of 20. Um, Fire eye happens. Solar winds happens. And I'm fighting an uphill battle 
with many, 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 many people on. They're just like, we've got to have software bills of lading and we need, and I'm like, well, that would be great. Except for the fact that you can't tell a company that you're under contract with already, you're changing the terms of the contract and not doing a contract mod and understanding that you're asking for something that's going to cost them money to go do, you have to have some money to go and redo that. This is about national security. I'm like, I got it, but we're a capitalist society and contracts are contracts. We abide by the law. So January 20th comes, the new administration's coming in the building. Well, I'm a tier two SES. I'm the chief information security officer for ANS. Um, and I will, there are two people I, I fault for bad things happening. Stacey Cummings and Greg Kausner. Um, were performing the duties of the undersecretary and the deputy for ANS. Um, they felt that Ms. Lord, the outgoing uh, secretary, undersecretary, sorry, um, had too many direct reports and I was one of them. So on January 19th, Ms. Lord, one of her last acts in office, um, moved my position from a direct report to her to industrial policy. And in their, their you know, Stacey and Greg, what they think they think they were doing was um, trying to protect people and because they knew there wasn't going to be a, a confirmed secretary for quite some time, that they were doing their best job to move people around, right? Well, they put me in industrial policy where I had no business being. Kim Harrington at the time was performing the duties of, and he was, I love Kim Harrington. He literally was awesome, is awesome. He's in the industry now. Kim Harrington is one of the most intelligent, articulate, patient, kind, um, understands the pricing, the costing, the, the, it just is one of the great guys of the DOD timeframe. But yet again, Miss Lord went and pulled a bunch of people from industry inside the building. You know, I was from industry. Kim was from industry. Um, we were in there. She brought us as change agents. Like, this is wrong. Fix it. Um, but in any case, uh, the incoming um, DASD for industrial policy was not Senate confirmed, was just a political uh, nominee. And came in, and when I met him, um, I'm, I'm going to say this is where the Department of Defense is today. This is my opinion, Katie Arrington's opinion. But I will tell you my experience. Take with it what you want. Generally, when you meet a new DASD or ASD, you get their bio, you get their history, um, and then you meet them. You, you understand how to communicate with them based on their past experiences, right? I'll say right now in the, the current administration, there's one of my favorite people of all time. Well, actually two, Heidi Shu is there, intelligent, amazing person. She's running Arnie. Um, and you got Bill LaPlante who author, co-authored Delivered Uncompromised, which was a lot of what spurned the CMMC, right? Um, the, the Navy report and, and Delivered Uncompromised are what burned the CMMC into existence. So I'm, I'm excited. These two people, you know, they weren't there. They, Heidi wasn't there or Bill when I was there. So February timeframe, 2021, um, I, I meet my new DASD who greets me. And, and I'm not kidding when I say this. And please, I'm not trying to offend anybody. I'm giving you the actual facts. 
on how I met someone. Um, I was introduced to him. He says, hello, my name is blank blank. I'm the first openly gay Latino indigenous deputy assistant secretary the Department of Defense has ever had. And I said, that is amazing, sir. That's great. Um, I'm Katie Arrington, CISO for ANS. Um, I've been trying to find your bio, you know, you know what, where you've been and whatnot. And can you please tell me a little bit about your history so I know how to effectively communicate what I'm doing to, for you because you're my new boss. So you need to know what I'm doing. And his statement was, I wrote a speech for Barack Obama. I won a scholarship to go tour Europe. I came back. I worked at a couple of different activists. Um, and then I was over at McKinsey in the communications office. I said, so have you ever worked in industry? And he said, well, not in a manufacturing facility. No. I said, so you've never worked in any of the defense industrial base, okay? Um, how, how well do you understand the supply chain? Well, I really don't. I said, have you had any experience in cybersecurity? He says, no. And then this is the question that should, is pretty relevant of what's happening around. He says, but my question to you, Ms. Arrington, is why are you still here? I thought we fired all you people. I went, what? Uh, he goes, aren't you a political appointee from the Trump administration? I said, no, I'm a, I'm a SES, tier two. <laughs> and I came in as a highly qualified expert. I never was a political appointee. And he's like, oh, he's like, well, I know nothing about cyber. And that's when he was on the, I say, the, the, the rapid offload this portfolio because I don't know it. Well, the Senate and the House kind of knew that, right? So they, in March, said, we want an update on all did cyber. And the, the, the Congress plays passive aggressive games because they have to. Now, I have been briefing them for three years. You have to understand that, right? I'm the one that goes and briefs on the, these matters to the Senate and to the House at this time. Um, Ms. Lord would go for hers. I had my own briefings. You know, I was updating them, talking about weapon systems, et cetera. They specifically requested the DASD get brief, to brief them because they knew this guy had no qualifications, but he was a political appointee. And they wanted to make it really apparent that they had had, there was somebody in the job that had no idea what the hell they were doing. And I had to imagine running the CMMC program, running the strategic cybersecurity program, running the trusted capital program in charge of the weapon systems and what was going on there, writing issue papers. I had 160 people on my team at this point and no real grown-ups in the building because all the politicals left. And so everybody is performing the duties of, and what do you do when you're performing the duty? You take no risk at all, right? None at all. Because you don't want as the SES to be burdened that you made that major boo-boo. Um, I couldn't get him prepared enough to go and speak. I, I couldn't. And the, the, the person that was over policy, still is over policy, didn't understand um, you know, poly if you've never been in industry, you wouldn't understand why the CMMC was so critically important. All that you can't explain three years of how we've created the program, blah, blah, blah. So then suddenly um, here I was the, the center of, of mass, the catalyst that's changing cyber culture in the Department of Defense. 
There are other players too, Nick Shalon. I will, I will never discredit Nick trying to change culture as well. Brett Goldstein, Kevin Fahey. I mean, we're all right, we're at this nexus, but they're all gone except for Nick. Everybody's gone. And it's me. And then all of a sudden, I'm NSA is stopping their communication with me. And I'm being taken out of all these meetings. And my, this new Dazby's going in my place, which isn't his role, it's my role. And I'm being taken out systematically. You know, because the way you do things in the department is if you don't like something, you know, you promote up or you make their lives hell. Um, and here's, and, and by you, I haven't even talked about the time during the pandemic that when they needed somebody to go over to FEMA and HHS, the Department of Defense, um, to fix it, I was the one that went in and fixed it. I was, I was the lead for acceleration of the COVID PPE pandemic supply chain. The lead. <laughs> so I'm the one that went in and told FEMA and HHS, we've got to get this all under one communication. Your control tower was created. Um, you know, I changed the way they were at buying and I convinced beat up, uh, you know, I was a team of people, not me, but, you know, to get it over to DLA, right? That they, this is what they do, right? Big time buy, big purchases, uh, you know, getting it dispersed around the, around the world. This is what they do. Dr. Navarro, Peter Navarro will go down as one of my heroes in history, unsung hero, because he kept saying, stop telling me all the reasons you can't do something. We've got to figure out how to do it. But that's a whole nother podcast on that whole time frame. Yeah, but folks. Here just I am. To kind of, yeah, folks. Just to kind of clear, uh, make that clear too. DLA, Defense Logistics Agency. Um, you know, this is one of the largest, most complex and uh, robust uh, agencies for moving pieces, parts, equipment, everything else around the country, right? And also, you know, also uh, internationally too for the Department of Defense. So I'm I in we, on another podcast. We'll talk about how that happened and how I, literally. I, because I, I happen to know a lot of people, right? And I had no problem calling people out on their BS. And I had no problem calling people on their personal cell phones and saying, what the hell are you doing? But that's a whole other issue. Um, so this is what happened to me. Um, I was obviously Mr. The DASD, um, uh, Stacey Cummings, uh, at that time, uh, um, the CIO was in an acting role. The new deputy came in, Dr. Um, Hicks. I was so excited when Dr. Hicks came. She wrote The Gray Zone. I'm like, oh, she gets it, right? This is the author of The Gray Zone. She knows what we're up against, right? And they wouldn't let me brief her on the CMNC or weapon systems. They gave 30 minutes to her when she first came in to brief her on cyber. John Sherman and Stacy, And they both because it was a joint briefing that you, you know, CIO and NANS had to work together on it. And it's like two different things, right? And that's part of what understanding how different things are is the CIO's job, their authority is they set standards for the DIB to, to adhere to, but their job is the overseeing of the DODIN, not the disparate federal, non-federal networks. That authority lies in ANS. And how they solve that problem is their business, right? It's not CIOs. 
So it got very complicated, right? There are people who really didn't understand cybersecurity that were briefing it to the secretary who really didn't understand what they were trying to say because they weren't communicating it well at all. Um, and then we had my boss who was just like, you know, I don't want to do this because we need to move it to NSA or CIO. NSA says they have this great solution. He, you know, my boss coming in, oh, they, they say they have this DNS. I'm like, well, the problem is 90% of the industry is not going to buy that. Who's going to pay for it? It doesn't solve all the problems. You still have people who don't even understand two-factor authentication. You know, you see there, there are unencrypted programs out there. You know, th there's a lot more to this than just, you know, a DNS will save the world. Then comes May 4th. And May 4th is the day that my world got changed. So I get a phone call, and like I mentioned, I had my, my lieutenant colonel briefing me about all this information all the time. So it wasn't anything odd. Um, and I have an affidavit to support this um, that he wrote and actually got through DOD, OGC, and BIC. Um, this is what really happened. On the morning of May 4th, there, he was given an unmasked intel report to give to me, and he asked, the Directorate of Cyber, who now, mind you, Ann Nuremberger is now the deputy national security, the deputy of the National Security Council. This time frame, in May of 2021, Ann had gone from the Cyber Directorate over to NSC, and the new person that's that's there is somebody that was part of the previous administration and had gotten fired, but in this new administration had gotten hired. Does that make sense? Yep. Yes, yep. This person- but It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make asked, sense, but it makes sense. <laughs> wait, wait, here it goes, here it goes. This person, as he's handing the brief to my Lieutenant Colonel said, hey, is the CISO Katie Arrington? And my lieutenant colonel goes, yeah, she is. He goes, is, is she the Trump? Uh, isn't she a political appointee? And he said, no, sir, she's never been a political appointee. He goes, is she a Republican? My lieutenant colonel said, you know, I, we don't talk about that. Um, I believe so. He goes, yeah, I'm pretty sure she was a Trump-endorsed candidate. And my lieutenant colonel said, he shrugged, and he's like, well, make sure Ms. Arrington gets this report. Gives me the report. And he says, sir, has the company been notified? that Because this is unmasked. Has the FBI and NSA notified the company? And he said, yeah. So he goes, and my, my briefer gives me the brief. And he looks at me and he goes, I can't brief um, the, the Miss Cummings this afternoon. Um, but I would like you to deliver it because it's obviously hot. Because it's unmasked and everybody in the building knows about it. Um, make sure she's aware of it. In, in case she gets questions from the secretary or the, uh, the the deputy or the secretary, I'm like, okay, not a problem. I go in and I give it to Ms. Cummings. I brief her. She said, two, and I have a subordinate NSA briefer in the room with me. She says, why is this unmasked? And I said, I have been told by my NSA briefers that this has been, um, they've already been notified. The company has been notified. And she said, okay. And she says, do, have they followed all the protocols? And I said, ma'am, I am seeing this as you're seeing this. 
she says, we'll just follow up and make sure the company has everything that they need. And if we can be of any help, let them know. Okay. I go back. I email the CISO at the company. And all I say in the email is, has NSA reached out to you? He responds and says, no. I said, please call NSA. He gives me a name. I said, I don't know that name, but I said, in your, your, you know, your risk management framework, you should have a POC for NSA listed. Call that person. He, he said, can you call me? I called him. He said, is this the name? I said, I really don't know who your NSA rep is, but that's, if that's who he says, call. He sends me an email. He's made contact, having a meeting with them 3 p.m. tomorrow. Thanks so much for the heads up. That's May 4th. May 6th, my calendar is suddenly cleared. Um, my boss has disinvited me to all the meetings. I then leave on, I think it's the 7th was the Friday. I was heading to drive home to Charleston. I was given a call um, from uh, Human Resources and Security saying that my gamma on a particular program had been pulled by NSA and that I was on administrative leave and I was not to speak to my staff. I was not to speak to the public, to the media, um, and that they would get with me. That I should have a SOAR forthcoming within the 10-day timeframe because you're supposed to give a statement of reason within 10 days um, and that I would understand at that point. Now, mind you, I still have, I'm going back to my house that has a JWIX drop in it. I have my zipper tablet, my laptop, my cat card. I've got my um, my uh, di uh, diplomatic passport with me. I go home. I hire a lawyer because I'm like, I didn't leak anything. I, no, I did not leak anything. I hired probably the most liberal leaning attorney I could find. And I called him and I said, I don't, I think this, this is not right. He got involved, um, and I mean, they gave, the bottom line is they never produced a SOAR. May, June, July, August, September, October, nada. I, I volunteered, went in for a polygraph. I passed the polygraph. They, you know, they didn't care, at, you know, at my own expense. I had done all of this craziness. I had, you know, at, we had repeatedly asked, they, first there was all this, there were these news stories out, you know, that I was being investigated, that I was going to be indicted any day now. We, we went through every channel. No one's investigating Miss Arrington. There's no investigation underway. We find out in like July that Air Force Special Investigations on May 13th had concluded that I had done nothing wrong, that they had gone in, they had looked at the email, they had looked at the situation, and that they had deemed I had done nothing wrong to warrant an investigation or a revoking of this particular gamma clearance. But yet I'm still on administrative leave. And meanwhile, I'm on administrative leave. They are destroying the CMMC program. They are breaking up the office. I sued the Department of Defense for my SOAR in October. In January, they produced it, and then they said, oh, we're sorry. You didn't do anything wrong. We're going to pay your attorney fees and do all that. And uh, once I signed that they were, everything was dropped, 
right? I had 25 letters of support declaration from current and previous senior ranking members in the intelligence community, inside the building today, outside the building, people I worked with that said it was totally out of character that I'd spent three years talking to the nation about what, what, how not to leak classified information. It would be completely contrary for me to do this. And DOD agreed. They paid my lawyer's fees. And you want to hear the crux of it? They, they disbanded the office. They did all this, this thing. The deputy, now mind you, there had been a memo. I had heard rumor, a memo that they were going to dissolve my position floating in the, in the DOD. And the day that my, that the Department of Defense lawyers made the deputy aware that my, my lawsuit had been filed, clear, cleared up, my legal fees had been paid, she signed the memo and dissolved my position. And then the Department of Defense said, well, you can come back, we'll just find you another job. And I resigned. And it took them five days to accept my resignation. I then had to pay $10,000 of my own money to FOIA all of these documents because first rule about Fight Club is you can't talk about Fight Club, right? But nobody would hire me now because the, the, the press has seen all this stuff about me and I'm going to run for Congress and I know it's gonna beat the shit out of me this, this, this lie that's out there that was perpetrated by the press. I never lost my clearance. They yeah. held a, a, a program. They put a hold on a SAP program, a, one program, everything else I maintained. And the media lied. The DOD never responded and never made any comment, just said there was an ongoing investigation. But the, the news lied. And then, well, I ran for Congress and my, the people that I ran against, they just perpetuated that lie. And, and people like me, and I wasn't alone. When I was out, you know, you're, you're on an essentially a gag order, right? Because I had two things. I could throw the towel. Now, now here's the, the thing that everybody should know. I was still in my provisional, my SES2, two-year uh, two provision, provisional period. They could have fired me at will, right? Which would have been a smart thing to do, right? Yep. I had only been in SES for like nine months. Just fire me. No, they didn't. They kept me on administrative leave and they held my clearance. They were holding my clearance, right? So if I quit, I lost my clearance. So they had me in a corner. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't talk to the media. I couldn't talk to my staff. I couldn't talk to the people that were involved in the situation. I literally, from May until October, I, I was essentially, my civil rights had been 100% violated. I couldn't talk. And in the meantime, I defend myself. And in the meantime, how are they getting all this information about what has transpired to you about your clearance and everything else? How is that becoming such, you know, so much a public record at that point? Well, we had two people that were leaking well, they, they were getting information that, you know, I had people on the inside of the DOD who didn't like what I was doing. They were afraid. They were telling people on the outside what, what they thought was going on or what they heard was going on. And those people were calling the press. And it's, it's, it to me, 
they abused the whistleblower program. These two individuals abused. Do you know that there were 51 whistleblower complaints on me that every single one of them was unfounded? Unbelievable waste, fraud and abuse of these individuals on the whistleblower program. Just because you don't like something doesn't mean that there's anything bad going on. 51 complaints. Do you realize how much money got wasted because these two inept people who, who because they, they weren't leading the show, kept calling in, wasted how much time we spent responding to these ridiculous inquiries, how many lawyers, how many investigators, how to slow because they you know one was part of the ab and then you know because he would kept saying bad things about amazon publicly you know was told like listen you can't keep bashing the government and be on this the accreditation body as a volunteer they they please walk away and and he got mad um and the other one just a i I can't even understand he's out of peru and he just has this issue um but it's if i didn't have the resources to defend my name, and even that, it got destroyed. I mean, I, and I hold no vengeance to the DOD or to you know to to what happened. I'm just heartbroken that our system is is so. I mean, and, and I'm trying not to make this a political conversation, but you got to understand if you're a Republican right now, in any shape, form, or fashion it's it's like and i i don't say this lightly there you're almost like you feel like you're hunted i mean you have a lieutenant colonel in the air force who writes an affidavit who says yes this is what happened he's a lieutenant he's like you don't ask those type of questions in the department of defense we're supposed to be nonpartisan. we don't i wasn't thrilled with the idea i'm not gonna lie to you about working for joe biden but i took a note I was doing my job. I care about the warfighter. But man, they just didn't, you know, Ann Nuremberger sure as heck didn't want me. Every time an executive order, I'll tell you some stuff that went down. There were executive orders that were coming down on software bills of lading that were coming directly from Ann. They were the same type of things that were coming out of Ann's when she was over the, the cyber shop at NSA. And I kept saying to the same things I said to Ann back then, I'm the software bills of lading. You cannot require companies to do this without contractual boundaries and money and resources. And you didn't negotiate this. There's no way in God's green earth, Microsoft, Oracle are going to give you their source code. Ain't going to happen. They're not going to tell you who the developers were because honestly, they don't know. You're talking about 20 years of software development? No. It's not going to happen. Now, going, you, know, you could change the paradigm and going forward, you can require software bills of lading. But let's be really mindful, folks. The, the, the DOD just got wise about IP, right? Intellectual property. We, Richard Gray was the first IP you know, cohort the Department of Defense ever hired. We didn't have to go and change things just because you want them to change doesn't mean the whole process and you stop following the law. And I firmly believe that I was a target. I was a person who was saying things need to change. I was very loud about it. And after January 20th, I had no leadership to support me. 
change agents and very risk adverse. And the priorities, and I will say this, I, I mean this with the utmost respect, the men and women in uniform are, are, are not right now being treated respectfully by the government. Mandating a vaccine or you're out is ridiculous. The wokeness in the DOD, when the Air Force writes a training program about pronouns, I don't know about you, but when, when I took the oath to serve, they didn't ask me my gender. They didn't ask me my sexual orientation. They asked me, do you promise to defend and uphold the Constitution and, and protect this country, both foreign, abroad, and domestically? That's what they asked. They didn't ask anything else. And our DOD is off kilter. When you're more worried about, you know, General Milley, you know, I want to understand white rage. Well, I, why? You know, I, I think you really should understand an evacuation plan in Afghanistan that didn't leave Americans behind and, and you know, break our allied partners and 13 U.S. service men and women died. I think you should really be focused on that. I think you should be really focused on, you know, what is going on in the world as far as cyber, as far as our adversaries, as far as what they want to do work at the cyber war. I think you should be really concerned about our supply chain and how we learn through the pandemic that we can't be dependent on a country that is in a different hemisphere to provide us our core elements for our day-to-day -day life. I think those are things you really should be, should be focusing on. I don't think that, that, you know, wokeness or cultural diversity, I will never forget having to give that first diversity training to my staff. You know, have you ever felt, you know, like you, you were, you, know, you were looked at differently? Um, well, I can tell you, I was, you know, I was an Arab, I'm, I'm Lebanese, Italian, and Polish, right? My dad works for the CIA in Fairfax, Virginia. And I can tell you being looking Arab in 1970 and, and I was born in 1970, but in 1978 and 79 and 80, it wasn't cool to be an Arab American, just FYI. When you had the Iran hostages and Jimmy Carter as the president, I can tell you people were very hostile and did not, you know, I, I distinctly remember as a kid going to the playground and, and parents saying, you can't play with her. So, I, but that's life. That's not part of the DOD's problem. And what is going on right now? The morale is at an all point low. There's no leadership in sight over there, same leadership. They're more concerned about, you know, the, the wrong things than the right things. And, you know, I would love to go back to the DOD just not in this environment. I loved my job. I never would have left being the CISO of ANS. No, no, I take that back. I would have, I would have, I, I was, I was getting people prepared to become the CISO because I wanted to go back to my normal life. Um, you don't feel like the job has been done. And the only, it, it hasn't been yeah. done. Right. I, I, but I was, I was more, you know, I didn't want to run for Congress. Right. When, mm -hmm. when all of that went down with me, the, I thought the only way I could fix it is go in and change the NDAA, go get on the Hask and, and change the NDAA to bring back the CMMC and not let the DOD run it off the rails. 
right? That, that was the intent of running for Congress, was to go into, inside the, the belly of the beast. If I can't fix it one way, I'm going to fix it another way. But, you know, here I am today. And, um, you know, my name has been destroyed from the media, then from, you know, my congresswoman, um, you know, promoting lies that, you know, I, they ran a commercial during the campaign that I, uh, you know, I was as bad as Putin and Z in China as far as leaking national secrets. It's like, wow. <laughs> so, but it's not stopping me, right? Because here I am and you've given me the opportunity to say the truth. Um, and the truth shall set you free. I mean, but I'm like persona non grata. I literally have no home. Who wants me? I'm, you know, I'm, you know, I'm no longer the CISO. So, okay, I'm not cool there. Um, any company that works with me right now, the, the, you know, the current administration might take retribution on them for hiring me because they, they, you know, the people in the Department of Defense worked really, really hard to get me out. I, I mean, there's things I can, I won't say, but there have been overtures made to people like, no, you're not going to talk to her. So it's just, it's sad. It's sad that this is where our country is right now. And it's sad that this is how we treat U.S. citizens. And it's sad to me that good people like Stacey Cummings, I mean, Stacey Pasgenic, um, uh, is still trying so hard. The, the AB is trying so hard. And it's, you know, industry, you need to wake up. You need to help these people. You need to get behind them. You need to start screaming and saying, we want this. We need this. Um, Otherwise, I, I just, I don't know where we're going to be. And it's scary because our adversaries are one team, one fight. And they love seeing all this out there. They loved seeing that the CISO was being brought up on, you know, that all this stuff was, you know, the woman who was leading the 889 effort, the, the same short four foot 11 uh, little spitfire got on the central stage at RSA and took the Huawei chief technology officer on directly. And, and said, no, you're not in my networks. I'm, no, no, not on my, not on my watch. And, you know, you have, you have people that are willing to stand up and do the right thing, you know, then they get whatever it is I am. But then of course, you know, I, I can't complain too much um, because I was able to serve. Um, I've lived a great, crazy life. I've had more experiences that, you know, God has been very, very good to me. I'm very blessed, but I could be doing so much more. And I, I'm trying to figure out how to do that. Any ideas? I always have ideas. <laughs> I always have ideas of this. So, you know, I, I think one of the, I think one of the, 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 the parts that's very, clear here right and you know i i'll i'll say it on i'll say it on you know on the podcast as well uh i have left leanings as far as from my end my voting history and everything else is in that way but i will say that this in this ordeal this story and stuff here brings home something that we don't see in the media that we don't see in the press and that's very much so hidden out there is that um things can get ugly and it can hamper our progression right 
uh, there's a place for politics and there's a place for politics not to be. And when we're looking at things like national security and the areas that you have worked in and that you spearheaded uh, there at the DOD, uh, it's a shame that we are now sitting in this kind of purgatory right now uh, with the progression of the CMMC, uh, basically beginning to one, defend ourselves better against uh, adversaries like China and actors within those nations, as well as others, Russia and uh, other actors there. And that this does significantly slow down what that progress is. And in some cases, it's an internal power fight. It's an internal power fight that gets propagated and continue to be supported by external actors like media and press and stuff too. Because if I had not talked to you today or in this podcast, all I would have to go on is what has been released in the different uh, news circulations and stuff that are there. Uh, Some true, some false, some just completely not informed uh, in that case. And so I would not have known that this was happening or this is how it happened. It's, I will tell you, there's nothing uh, more, uh, it breaks your, and, and, and not to, I'm not, this is not a pity party for Katie, because, mm-hmm. you know, every, you know, I, I look at our, and this is why I was so excited to work, and why I stayed, right? Think about this. I've, I, I spent four years, three years working on this amazing team. The new administration came in and I didn't stop. I was like, okay, we're going to, we're just going to keep going. Right. This is this, because it never was political. Right. It, it, there was one time in the DOD that politics interfered with what we had to do. And that's when Turkey wouldn't take that missile. <laughs> we had to take Turkey out of the F-35 program. Right. And that was like hard because people didn't understand how much exquisite manufacturing was inside Turkey. But that was, you know, and, and the president at the time made the right decision. You can't have a Russian Soviet missile and be in the F-35 program together. You just can't do that. It defeats the purpose. <laughs> you got, you've got to go out. You can't have both, right? And I, I will tell you, the, the pre- previous president tried really hard. He's like, just move the missile out of the cat, out of your palace. That's all you got to do, move it out. And he refused, Erdogan refused. He's like, I don't have a choice here. Um, that was really, really, really hard, you know, because those are contracts that you have with country, with companies, mm-hmm. right? To do, but but otherwise than that, we didn't get caught up in in it, right? We weren't in that, you know, bad things happen all the time, right? Human beings are the, you know, it, it's like anything, the, the weakest link in any technology, anything we have are the human interactions, right? Because human beings, you know, you have people that are good, you have people that are bad, you have people that are, you know, they don't know all of the, they don't have all the, the, you know, they're people with nefarious intent, they're people that are power hungry, there are people that think that they're doing the right thing. I mean, humans are just interesting all the way around. I am not perfect either, right? Because I, when the DIB would come, the CISOs would come into me and they would say, Katie, level five CMMC, who's ever going to need it? And I said, you know, right now, I don't know. But, you know, I want the option. <laughs> and they're like, that's a lot. That's really expensive. And I said, yeah, but if we're going to develop a technology that is really, 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 really important to protect, I want a level of security that I can say, okay, I'm willing to pay a lot of money to protect this, right? They used to argue with me on that. And I, I'm not perfect. I'd argue back and say, no, you know, leave the op- leave it open for discussion at a later time, right? Most people are only ever going to be in the old CMNC level one, 
Level two was the bridge to get people to three so that they could map out what they would need financially to go to their boards, to their investors, et cetera. I mean, it was, it was a logical process. And then I, 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 the, the last part of the CMMC that I really was involved in was the level of, you know, when they were going to go in and look at when a DIB contractor, and the pandemic spurned this on, this is such a funny story. Um, one of the, several of the large um, uh, primes during the pandemic brought in systems that they put on their network that they could order food from the cafeteria and that they were given a time to go get it because we still, we were, by the way, I was part of the team. Uh, this is a funny, I'll tell you this one funny story because I know this podcast has gone long, but you guys will die laughing because it really does, it, it happens just like this. And I'm, I am a deep, I am a deeply religious woman. God has saved, saved my life on more than one occasion, but there's one distinct one, that car accident, God was there with me. But I do not believe in coincidence. I think everything has a plan and a purpose. So I met Chris Krebs through when the ESF was the, uh, the emerging solutions. It, it was a, a, a body that stood up. Um, emerging or, or I can't remember what it was. And I, it, this is in March of 2019. And I came in front of the ESF. He was running it. Uh, Dana Deasy was there, General Nakasone, the big guys from Google, Microsoft, everybody's in this big meeting classified. And I come up on the stage and I tell them I'm going to do, a, I'm going to make the industry comply to the NIST 800-171 through a program called the CMMC. And I think the room, they almost started to laugh at me. Um, and the defense science board at the same time said to me, you're crazy. I'm like, yeah, you just don't know. Um, but I met Chris Krebs and developed a friendship with Chris Krebs from that moment on. And I brought my boss, Kevin Fahey over to meet Chris over at CISA because CISA is like, listen, your, your CMMC has some merit here. Bob Kolowoski was there. He's now at Exeger. Um, we were all talking, but during the pandemic, Chris Krebs, um, you know, we were, you know, I was, I was in FEMA working and they were getting ready to shut the country down. Right. We're, we're all gone. We're, when I say I'm on, I'm on the, in, on the, on the, the cool, the, the, the team working this, I'm on the team working this, right. I'm talking to Navarro, Kushner, you know, Admiral Placek, we're all in, everybody's doing their part. And Chris is getting ready to do the mission essential. Who's going to be mission essential. And he called, I, I had, send him an email and I'm like Chris I need to talk to you before you write this memo and he calls and I'm like we need to make sure that the shipyards that weapon systems continue to develop we can't have these people go offline if you shut down the shipyard it will be years before it will ramp back up to production can't do it and Kevin Fahey myself and uh, Captain Davis wrote the memo that ultimately Chris Krebs signed that said the Department of Defense was mission essential and the contractors were mission essential. And that's how the, all that happened. And, you know, and, and Chris is saying now, you know, he want, that he thinks the best solution is to stand up a cyber entity that goes across the board. And it's, it's a great idea in theory, but it, I, I don't know how well it will work. Um, but that, that was definitely something that went up. Ah, when, you know, there, there are people just like when there's a reason and they want to do the right thing, gosh, they, they really do. And Operation Warp Speed, 
being, you know, on the cybersecurity team with that was just amazing. And I, I will say, I thank you every day, taxpayers that gave me an opportunity, uh, people that took a chance on a crazy kid like me uh, to go out there. But I was given so many amazing opportunities in the DOD. And I don't look at my time there with anything, but I, I, I smile and I cry at the same time. I know the people there are trying to do the right things with the restraints that they have, but they also have, you know, that they, they didn't, a lot of the people that are in SES positions making decisions have never been in industry and don't understand the complexity. And what makes sense inside the building makes absolutely no sense to industry. And I was really proud and grateful um, that I was in a position where I understood both sides and I understood the legislative side from writing legislation. Um, I was a unique individual to, to be in that environment. And I just can't thank my leaders, you know, they, they, they took a chance on me, took a chance on me, took a chance on me. And I, you know, I, I hope one day to go back. I, I would love to go back. I would love to just get it all back and, you know, things have moved and evolved and changed. And, you know, my thing is you, you take with what you've got and you move forward with what you have, whatever they're doing right now, um, pick up and, and okay, how do we get it across the finish line? Right. And be the one I, I said in the other podcast, you know, leadership is more about being, being able to take responsibility for the team's failures, right? Not, the team member, but the team's failures falls on the leader. But more importantly, be a good leader and let the people that you lead flourish and grow and, and do what they are jack of all trades, those masters of one, let them be the absolute best master of whatever they're doing and help them excel, help them be good because their goodness is, is better for the whole team, right? For the whole mission. Um, and that's, I think, is, you know, one of my, you know, my superpowers, seeing the connection dots, but not, the ego doesn't live. Like, they, the, the Stacey Fosgenics, the Buddy D's, the John Choice, the Mike Gordons, the Lassie Martin, the J.C. Dobson, um, those guys are the heart and the heartbeat of the CMMC. The people at Johns Hopkins that actually wrote, you know, it, th those are the people, the blood, the sweat, and the tears, the hours of volunteerism that went into the CMMC. Those guys are the CMMC. I was just a loud mouth to make the leaders in the DOD and, and, and Congress and believe in it. It, it, it. But the rest of it was everybody else. And I thank them. I'm, I, I love them. They're my heroes. And I pray for them daily that their careers flourish and that they as human beings flourish because they really did amazing things. The John Smoots. I mean, I, I could just go on for days. Um, my finance, uh, Laura, just, she was absolutely amazing. She, you know, it, it's just, there were so many great people. You know, Jack Wilmer was one of the best. Essie Miller. Um, I, I just think about, you know, leaders that were in the Pentagon doing amazing things. Um, just, you know, Wanda Jones Heath, she's still there in the Air Force. She's kicking some ass. And I, I, I admire her, what she's doing. She's got moxie. My girl's got some moxie. Um, there, there's, there was just so much goodness there. And, and there still is goodness there. It's just they need to remember what the mission is, right? And it's, it's not about 
you know, the color of one's skin or the religion or, or, or their sexual orientation, none of that really matters, right? What matters, the only thing that matters in that, in that environment is, are you doing the absolute best you can do with the resources you're given to provide the warfighter the best capability of surviving the night? End of story. That's the job. And make sure that when we wake up in America tomorrow morning, that democracy has a chance of another day. And that's it. The best we got. And with that. Thank you, Katie. This was a, yeah, this was a, this was a excellent episode and series as far as on this. I mean, to be able to walk through, uh, walk through really our DOD and kind of the last two years through your eyes, you know, on that is definitely an absolute uh, uh, privilege. So thank you for this time today and uh, appreciate it. And uh, we guys will see you guys back here for uh, episode three or, yeah, or episode four, excuse me. <laughs> All right. Thank you. That's all for this episode of The Lojo Show. We want to thank Katie Arrington for coming on with us today on this amazing third episode in this exclusive series, Exposing the Truth About DOD Security. Let us know what you think of season two. And if you want to see updates on this series and more, follow our Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, and YouTube pages. If you have questions for Katie or want to come on the show, you can send us an email at officiallojoshow at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you. We will be releasing a new episode in this series every Monday at 6 a.m. Eastern Time. We hope you are as excited as we are. With that, we will say goodbye, have a great week, stay safe, and stay secure.